0: moments this morning, just looking at some of the things that not only Jesus does, but, but some interesting things that he says. So we begin at verse 35. This is what we read. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd." Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for your journey or extra shirt or sandal or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whenever you enter a town or a village, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words... Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it is for that town. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, help us to hear this morning these words and to be inspired. Inspired by the joy of the kids. Inspired by the joy of... Day and the energy they bring, and the opportunity you give us, and we just pray your blessing and your peace with us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. amen, How many of you are familiar with the term crossing the Rubicon? A few of you know that? Okay, not a lot of you. Crossing the Rubicon, for those of you that may know, for those of you that don't, it refers to the event, an event, in the life of uh, Julius Caesar, 49 B.C., Caesar, most of you probably at least have some familiarity with from uh, history, was a, a powerful military leader, very successful. He had been the governor of the province of Gaul, which is north or was north of, of Italy, and became incredibly popular, incredibly powerful. So much so that in 49 uh, BC, the Roman Senate, which was very weary of him, wary of him, nervous about him, uh, they gave him a, an edict. They said, resign your position, dissolve your army, or you will be considered in, tre- a treason, in treason, an enemy of Rome. And so he had a choice to make. So Caesar, Julius Caesar that is, gathered his army, and he marched down from Gaul, and he came to the bank of, of the Rubicon, which was a stream that separated the province of Gaul from Italy. And it is there that he and his army crossed the Rubicon. And in crossing the Rubicon, in that moment that they stepped across those waters, they became an enemy of Rome. They threw Rome into civil war. It was a point of no return. When they crossed that body of water, they were totally committed. In fact, uh, Caesar is quoted, the legend is that when he crossed the river, he said the die is now cast. It was a point there was no going back from. And as history, you may know, he... Led his army successfully. He, uh, he won the civil war, if you will. He announced himself, uh, proclaimed himself dictator at Rome. Wouldn't last a long time. In 45 years later, in 44 BCE, he was assassinated what day? You remember? March 15th, the Ides of March. Remember, beware the Ides of March. He'd be assassinated. Now to go on with the history, because there's a little biblical tie-in here. His nephew would avenge his death. His nephew would defeat Caesar's, or Julius Caesar's enemies, would become the first emperor of Rome, would rule for over 40 years. Anybody know what his name was? Caesar Augustus. And if you know the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, it's, that's the Caesar that issued the, the mandate for the census, which brought Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the birth of Joseph and Mary. Shouldn't leave her out from Nazareth for the birth of, for the birth of Jesus, but it's that image of crossing the Rubicon that uh, that that I focus on because it is a point in which you're totally committed. Uh, Fifteen nineteen, Cortez leads uh, his army to the shores of Mexico, Veracruz. The Spanish conquest of Mexico. Do you remember what he did as soon as they landed on the beach? He burned the ships. He burned the ships because he knew, as did Caesar, as did many leaders in history, and we could find a lot of examples of this, that you've got to be, and many times in our lives, we've got to be totally committed. You can't kind of have one foot in and one out. Uh, Cortez couldn't have his army moving forward and thinking about the possible retreat. Caesar knew that once they crossed the Rubicon, they were all in. And so we see this historically, we see it in a very different way in the life of Jesus. We see it here in Matthew 9 and Matthew 10. Jesus is continuing his ministry. Matthew 9 reminds us of the example of what Jesus was doing, going to the towns, preaching in the synagogues, healing the sick, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And he has been training his disciples. He's been their teacher. They've been spending time with him. They've been learning from him. They've been watching him the same way teachers and Vacation Bible School leaders and others impact kids. Lead by example. Be a witness. That's what Jesus has done. And so in Matthew 10, he sends them forth with their marching orders. And basically, it is is, simply put, they're called to go do what he's been doing. He says, you're now called to go, and you do what I've done. Teach, heal, proclaim the good news, live the kingdom of God, which turns the world systems upside down, which elevates the oppressed and oppresses the elevated. Not oppresses, but humbles the elevated. Let's put it that way. He says, do what I've done. And he even tells them who their mission field is. He says, you go, and you're going to the lost sheep of Israel. This is not the time for Samaria. Samaria. This is not the time for the Gentile mission, the the parts beyond the the Jewish nation. That will come. That's an important part of the ministry of Jesus, but not yet. Right now, this is your mission field. So they're told who they're to go to, and they're told what their mission is and what they're supposed to do. But then Jesus says something that I find very, very interesting. In verse 9, I want to read again. This is what he tells them as they go. Do not get any gold... Or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. He does something that is, at its surface, incredibly perplexing. He says, Take nothing with you. This is where he'd have lost me. This is where he'd have lost me, because I am an overpacker. When I go somewhere, I pack what I need. I pack what I think I might need. (laughs) I I pack for contingencies. I'm one of those guys, and some of you might be like me, that I usually come back with about half a suitcase full of clean clothes because I've packed more than I needed. A few years ago when I went to China, it was a two-week trip, China, Korea, I took two suitcases. Um, because I wanted to be ready for anything. What a pain in the backside that was. This year, when I went to Kenya, I was like, "All right, I'm taking one suitcase," and that was hard for me. And thank God for expandable suitcases. <laughs> but then the end of the trip, the last couple days, I didn't know this was coming. They told us when we went out to the Savannah and we went out to the Masai tribe, they said, "Leave your suitcase. You've got a backpack. Shove whatever you need in your backpack." <laughs> Are you kidding? Where are we going? What are we doing? That was the hardest thing in the world. I am an overpacker. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to pack light. He says, don't pack. I mean, no no extra clothes, no extra channels, no money. No money. Go. Go. And I think, why? Why? And quite simply, and it's not simple, Jesus wants his disciples. He wants his apostles, actually apostles means to send forth, so they're now apostles. He wants them completely focused and devoted to the mission that they've been called. He wants them completely committed to what they've been called to do. He wants them all in, so much so that they will depend upon God for the provisions they need, not the stuff they can pack in their own bags. And I, I think profoundly and significantly, the reality is what he knows is that, that we become very attached to our stuff, to our things, to our ability to, to provide and, and to meet our own needs, and that very often can become a hindrance. And we all do that. We do that literally. We become incredibly attached to our stuff. Go back to, to flying. For those of you that have flown and maybe flown a lot, you ever known the anxiety of standing at the conveyor belt, watching everyone get their bags and not seeing yours? You ever known the fun of just staring at the chute, going, Please let that next one be mine. Because we need our stuff, right? We need the things that, that, that belong to us. And, and that's human. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not wrong. That's not sinful. That's not disobedient. But Jesus knows that too often our stuff our attachments can become a hindrance to our mission. They can become limiting on our ability to be totally focused and all in to the things that God has called us to. And that happens in subtle, and sometimes it happens in very um, unexpected ways. About the middle of the week, I'm walking down the hall, right about in this section right here. These tables had been set up every night for... For dinner, our kitchen crew that that kept us fed and did such a fantastic job every night. And so we'd been eating and the kids had snacks every night. And I noticed that there were some fresh stains on the carpet. Imagine that, 150 kids in here and some things got spilled. I don't know how that happened. And this is the first thought, and I say this confessionally to you, the first thought that went through my head is, oh man, our carpets aren't going to look as nice. And I froze. And I froze. And in that moment, instantly, I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Because in a moment, I allowed myself to be more concerned with clean carpets than I was with 150 kids running around and learning about Jesus. In a moment, I let that become my stuff. And all of a sudden, I became concerned with appearance. Let me tell you the kind of churches that have clean carpets. Actually, I don't think I need to tell you. But see, that becomes a hindrance. And that really convicted me because I started ministry as a youth minister. Many of you know this. I've talked about that. And I was the guy that they said, you know, hey, bring the kids in. Bring the kids in. We want the kids here. And most of the church I served was a wonderful church. And I don't mean to any way criticize it. But there was always a few. And I'd always have a few that would come up when I'd bring the kids in and we'd go, well, you know what? They're awful loud. Or we'd play games in the fellowship center, and we'd mark up walls a little bit. Well, you you put a mark on the wall. And I can remember thinking as a 20-year-old kid, well, you get one or the other. You either get the kids or you get the clean house. You don't get both. And I promised myself I'd never be that guy. And for a moment, standing right here, I was that guy. Stuff that begins our mission was to the kids. Our mission was to this ministry. And so be it if things get a little messed up. But too often in our lives together and in our lives individually, we just, we got stuff we're just not willing to let go of. Jesus needs them to let go. And the question for me becomes, what in my life am I holding on to that Jesus wants me to let go of? All week long, the kids learned that they were created by their maker. That God has created them special, talented, gifted. God has created them for purpose. We talk about that. We are created for purpose. The problem is, the hindrance to living into our purpose too often is we're half in and half out. We got stuff. Yeah, Lord, we celebrate your grace. We thank you for your love. And yes, we know we're called for a purpose. But but Lord, could your purpose not be an inconvenience to me, please? Could your purpose not... Require so much of me, please, because there's some things I just, I don't want to let go of. Yeah, I know I can come and serve at the food pantry and help feed hungry people. Or, or I know that, that I can come pack sacks for, for kids for the weekends. Or, or I can come and teach Sunday school. Or, or I could lead and be a part of EBS for a week. I can do that, Lord. But, but my free time, that's, that's, that's my free time, Lord. Can I kind of hold on to that? Or, yeah, Lord, you've, you've blessed me with an abundance, and I have resources that I can, I can use to help and bless others, but, but then I won't have quite as much in my pocket. And, and we hold on. Or, yeah, Lord, I know you called me to, to love that person, to reach out to that person, but you know what? She thinks differently than I do. She's a Democrat. <laughs> I'm a Republican, or vice versa. I don't mean one or the other. The, the, don't, don't walk out of here gloating if you're a Republican, all right, or the, whatever, or, or they think about this about social justice, or they, they think this, they have this opinion, that opinion, yeah, I could reach out, but, but oh, that, that may be uncomfortable for me. You know, there's just so many things in our lives, so many ways God hungers to use us, so many mission fields that God calls us to that we just don't get to because we're just not quite willing to go all in, and I do it. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to me, and I think some of you are with me. Because we just, we just, we're just holding too tight. And I hear verse 9, and I say, Jesus, why? Why do they got to let go of that stuff? Because Jesus wants them all in. And I start to wonder in my life, if Jesus stood before me and said, Chris, this is the mission field I've called you. This is the purpose I've created you for. But there's some things I need you to let go of. What would he ask me to let go of? What would he ask you to let go of? But the question is, we'd be, we'd, we'd be willing. The question that haunts me is, am I willing? Caesar at the Rubicon. Cortez burning the ships. Or Jesus to his disciples. All in. I need you all in. God has loved us and blessed us by his grace and his presence. He's invited us into a relationship. But hear this as we told the kids all week, you are special, created for purpose. Are you willing to embrace the purpose? Are you willing to go all in? That's true for so many areas of our lives. But it's especially true for our faith. Jesus gives us the invitation. But there's some things he needs us to let go of. Are you willing to let go? Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we pray your spirit would challenge us. Your love would overwhelm us. Your, your hope would fill us. And that we'd go forth with the joy of faith, the joy of Christ and the opportunity to serve, to live into that faith you've called us to, to let go and to make a difference in this world. That is our call in Christ, the mission for which we have been sent forth. Help us to embrace it fully. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.